Welcome to the Possibility Podcast with Sarah Knight. This is Session 2, talking inherited family trauma and personal resilience in the face of our climate crisis with Family Constellations therapist, Joanna Lynn. So hello, Joanna. I'm so glad that we get this chance to talk today. Great to be with you, Sarah. So, Joanna, there's so many different things that we could talk about, but what I'm really interested to hear more about is your work in the area of family constellations. Can you tell me a bit more about what that is and what you do? Definitely. If we look at it biologically, none of us get to be the way we are by accident. It's funny to think we're half our mom and half our dad. And this influences the way we even see the world, not to mention how we might respond to some of the challenges in our life and even some of the things we hear on the news. And so constellations is how we find ourselves within our family. And this certainly influences how we relate to life out there in the world. Wonderful. Thank you. You have led me right into my next question, precisely why I wanted to take this chance to talk to you today. So we're at a time in the world where we have to engage with the news because it's everywhere. It's not just a case anymore of whether or not you choose to turn on the television. All of us are connected to social media and we can't turn away from the challenges that are out there because it's constantly popping up on our news feed, binging through on our phones. And the challenges out there seem to be growing in frequency and in magnitude. And without a doubt, there are any number of social, political, environmental issues that can catch our attention at any one time. And sometimes things that seem not just like issues, but actually like upheavals. So can you tell me a bit more about how our families and how our parenting may enable us or disable us in regards to how we are able to engage with these challenges in the world? It's a really profound question. And I think any of us who are parents begin to look at, am I helping or hindering? You know, am I stressing or am I empowering the child? And so, so much about Um, how we might hear a scary story, do we move into self-protection or even isolation, or do we get right into advocacy? What can I do? What's my part in this? And so those are like two opposite channels of the way we might look at or the way any two different people might hear a news story. And so just take a moment as you're listening to this, where, what side of the fence do you usually find yourself on? Do you quickly move into apathy and overwhelm or do you want to gather your community together and do something in support of what might be happening? And so even this quote comes to mind from uh, Mr. Rogers, you know, when you turn on the news and scary things happen, look for the helpers, look for the people that are, you know, wanting to support. And that's always helped me just intrinsically to feel better that these scary things have been happening, gosh, for as long as time has started. And it's how are we responding to it that changes our own life experience. And when we look at how we might respond, I certainly get curious about how I was made to respond in a certain way or why that might be different from my spouse or my neighbor. And so a lot of it is how full did you feel emotionally full, relationally full inside of your home as a child. 
I think those of us that come out of our family experience feeling really full deal with life with more resilience. They feel like they have access to more resources. And so we're better able to be that quote unquote helper, the person who's rallying and maybe stepping into advocacy. But those of us who didn't quite get enough of what we needed, we might be more prone to withdraw, pull away, or even collapse. There's that feeling of, oh, just one more thing and this whole you know house is coming down. I just can't handle one more bad news report. And so I hope I've answered your question in sort of the two separate ways one might move through that experience. Definitely. And so just to summarize, I think you touched on a number of important things. To summarize then, it sounds like how we um, engage with the world, very much informed by what we received as children, how full we are, and that can put us anywhere on that spectrum of, okay, we're faced with a challenge. Do we move inward? Do we isolate? Are we right there ready to take responsibility and take action? So that word that you mentioned, resiliency, I mean, this is all over the place now, how important it is as individuals and as a society to build resiliency in our economic structures, in our environment, in the way that we build, in the way that we live, in the way that we organize our cities. This building resiliency seems to be a real kind of buzz phrase right now. So based on what you're saying, either it sounds like we come in resilient and built for it, or we don't. Can you talk about that a bit more? The good news is resiliency can be built. So just like training for a marathon, you know, our first day out on that run is going to be a lot more difficult than day 72. Resiliency is built almost one brick at a time, although it's an internal brick. And we know we can create that change that we begin practices of filling up our own cup. And a lot of the work I do with my clients, it's almost in this honoring way to their parents. So many of my clients who feel like the only thing they can honestly say that they received is the gift of this life. There wasn't a lot of attention. There wasn't that attunement. There wasn't the confidence building. And so they feel more vulnerable and more affected by world events. So how do we rebuild that for ourselves? It's such a good feeling to know that we can take resiliency in our own hands. And it's more of a daily practice, to be honest with you. It's this concept of really being grateful for this gift of life, even if it's all that was given. Letting that be more than enough. And so for many of the clients that I've worked with, that's honestly what they can say, okay, This life was given to me, even though I would have wished for more time, more laughter, more calm, more peace in my home. But since that wasn't there, I'm going to start to give to myself all of the things I would have wished for in my family. This is where we get to kind of come into the driver's seat of our own lives and really gain that resiliency. We build that inner sense of safety inside of us. I believe safety is an inside job and it's something we get to cultivate each day. And so when fearful thoughts come in, there's this idea of what is it that I need in this moment to feel safe? And for some of us, it's going inward, maybe a meditation practice, maybe a mindfulness practice. And for others, it's how do I get into action? How can I be one of those helpers? 
whether it's research or advocacy, what does my part look like? Resiliency in action. It's something we do and we step into life in another way. This feeling of what mom and dad could give was enough and I set down the fight for what wasn't there. And then I begin to give to myself more of what I needed. It's sort of this beautiful way of saying, thank you for this gift of life. And now I go and do great things with it. That's a way of honoring, even if the relationship remains difficult, or let's say mom or dad have passed away and it feels like, you know, we're not able to repair it. There's lots of ways we get to have a living repair of that relationship. And it's so connected to this resiliency in the way that I see it anyway. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. So if I understand you correctly, we are resili- our natural resiliency comes from how much we received as children. But more than that, it comes from our perception of how much we received and how we hold the story of that. Exactly. Yes. And so from what you're saying, and this is something, I mean, I've noticed from working with people, where do we get stuck? Where do our loops get stuck that are actually holding us back from receiving the energy in the way that it wants to come through to us? And so from the family constellations perspective, it sounds like it's the story that keeps you stuck. I didn't get enough of this. This wasn't done for me. If only I had have gotten this. If only my parents had have been like this. And that it's through the retelling of the stories that actually can help create the full feeling in your body and that what what we're talking about now, that ability to be resilient. Is that correct? I love the way you've put that. I, I think it's less about what actually happened, you know, the experience itself, and much more about how we're still holding on to it, what we've made it mean, or, you know, if we tell ourselves or anyone who'll listen, this awful story of what wasn't available, how we wished it would be different. This very much keeps us stuck in that loop you're talking about. And it pulls traction away from our own resiliency, our own ability to deal with the stress of the day because we're stuck in the stress of yesterday. Got it. I love it. That makes so much sense. And it's so in line to other things that I'm learning about right now. We were talking just yesterday about Bruce Lipton and I'm listening to one of his audiobooks, and he talks about from a cellular perspective, how it's the environment that shapes the response of the cell and what is expressed and what is not. But even more important than the environment is the perception of the environment. And that sounds like that's exactly what you were saying. Yes, of course, the environment environment that we grew up in and the environment we find ourselves in now is absolutely going to shape our ability to respond but even more important is our perception of the environment I love it thank you so I mean if we think about ourselves as not just an individual but as in fact one cell of a global organism what does it mean then how important is it to build societal resilience I love that question. It's so important to be able to look at it from a full picture, including the whole collective. I think some of the issues that we're up against today in society, they're so charged and there's so much at stake that it's ended up really polarizing us. 
Um, and we can no longer hold space for somebody who has a different view. But if we really look at what's being said, it actually might be the same conversation, but we're just coming at it from a different perspective, from a different history. And the more we can begin to recognize we're talking about the same thing, maybe from two ends of the spectrum, but we're able to hold space for all points of view so that we can gain um, collective agreement in order to move forward. And if we look at it from the resiliency piece, if as a collective we're all feeling more full, we're all doing our own personal work to no longer feel like, you know, um, I'm quick to anger, I'm quick to judge, I'm quick to be triggered. If we can put all of that down and really just talk to the heart of the matter and what's really essential, so much of the spinning of the wheels of, you know, just staying stuck in the problem instead of working towards the solution. I mean, I, I would love to get to that place. It just seems so inviting that there's so much more openness and opportunity there. Thank you. And what has rung through and what you've just said is something that I know from working closely with you is the importance that you place on understanding and compassion and always stepping in, trying to keep those in the framework of whatever you're working on. And that's been huge for me in my own personal work. How do I move on from my stories and bringing in understanding and compassion that whoever it is that I've structured that story around, the ex-husband, the parents, the teacher who didn't get me, whoever it is, that every single one of those people had their own story. And every single one of those people had their own pain and their own trauma and their own sufferings that they brought into that moment. And that ultimately we were really just two pained people <laughs> doing our best and so trying to hold the other with that understanding and compassion has helped me so much break free of the stories that really helped me and I learned that from so much of that from you and your work and so it sounds like if we take this how do we apply this globally what you're saying how do we hold space for other people that have the difference of opinions well it's understanding and, and compassion for their stories for what they've been through and holding the highest space for the possibility that really we all want the same thing and at the end of the day all wanting to be alive wanting a world for our children so what I want to ask you next then is this sense because you've talked a lot about being able to step in take responsibility take action and something that a lot of us struggle with in this world is not just taking action and taking responsibility but actually taking over responsibility so really, Joanna, what I'm getting at is this idea that there is the right personal responsibility and that just as much as your innate um, learned sense can be to retract and to isolate yourself when faced with a challenge, so can it be from taking it all on making it all and that's where my challenge is making it all mine to fix what more can I do surely I could do this maybe I could do that if only I slept a bit less I could get all this done too and so is there a place for that dynamic in your work and what might you suggest for people for whom that resonates with so that what we actually do is don't burn ourselves out as we're faced with increasing challenges mm -hmm. 
It's a very important question because any one of us who live with these big hearts and, you know, really wanting to go out there and make a difference, we could look at one to a thousand things that could need our time, attention, money, uh, volunteering, you know, it's, it really is endless. And so beginning to look at where does that pattern, that outreach, that moving into doing, helping, and as you said it a little earlier, overhelping, where does that come from? And how do we allow ourselves, it's almost like to sit back, to remain in the body and to let the body guide for where you choose to put your attention. I talk a lot about this metaphor of we all only have $100 to spend, you know, energetic dollars. And where do you want to put that? And so, of course, there's some earmarked for your family and your career and your health and your own hobbies and self-care. And so realistically, perhaps that leaves each of us with, depending, you know, 5 to $20. And where do you choose to invest that energy so that you're not going constantly into your overdraft which of course we all know leads to burnout so what are those causes that you feel are absolutely close to your heart now if it's the other side and you want to kind of move into collapse or apathy or this feeling of like well what would i do anyway it's like a drop in the ocean There's something around recognizing your own importance, your own ability to notice that even if I give, you know, warm gloves to the homeless guy I walk by every day, that's meaningful. And where do you give yourself permission to let what you're able to do be enough? And so that's different for each and every one of your listeners of where they find themselves on that spectrum. Is it stepping out and giving that drop in the ocean and letting that be significant and meaningful? Or is it more holding back, staying with your body, picking and choosing what's important while all the while honoring yourself? You know, I'll often share with many of my clients, this has come up, that if you let's say, love someone in your family who's struggling with addiction or um, really deep into depression, and you imagine you're on this big, tall cruise ship. The person you love has thrown themselves overboard. Your instinct might be to just go overboard with them and, and scoop them up. But then what is a situation? You're both in the water, treading water. We're not as helpful to that person we love or that issue we have a a special heart for. How do we remain on the deck? You know, throw that life vest over, but we remain on the deck. Warm, you know, we have other resources of the people around us. So just noticing where you may be throwing yourself that proverbial overboard in some of the things that you'd like to make a difference for. I love that. So, I mean, it sounds like your your answer is so much about noticing how you respond to things and reflecting on maybe where those patterns come from. What are those early learned behaviors, those early stories, and really listening to your body. So always checking back into your body. What can I do in this moment? What is the right place for me? What is the right action for me? Exactly. So that you're not just running on automatic repeat. You're coming into what's right for me. What's that right action here now with this circumstance? I'm not just responding like my mom did, or I'm not just recovering from my childhood for the next, you know, 60 years and hiding out. 
So what's true for you? And that's, I think, how we come to that right action for us in the moment. And of course, giving yourself permission for that to change. Maybe January looks different than June and letting that be okay. Wonderful. I want to come back to that in just a minute and ask you for some tips on how to how to tune into the body and hear what it's saying. But what you said there reminded me of a talk I was listening to two nights ago from Adyashanti. And he was talking about, for him, the importance of letting go of the identity of being a good person. Because identifying with being a good person person actually often took him outside of what his body was really suggesting was the right place for him in any one moment, the experience that he really wanted to have, and into action that was based from something that was coming from the mind about what it means to be a good person. And so I love that idea of giving ourselves permission to drop these preconceived identities and just tune in every single day on what is right for us in this moment. And maybe it's different to what was felt there yesterday. So thank you. I really like that. And so on that, would you have some tips for people for maybe this is all new? Well, how the heck do I know what my body is saying and what my body wants in a moment and what feels right in my body? You know, for a, for a lot of us that live in this world, a lot of our actions are controlled by thought. So how does the body speak to us? So I can really relate to that, Sarah, because for years I really lived, you know, only in my head. It was the research and the study that formed the right answer for me, but it was completely devoid of information from my body. And so that's something I had to learn along the way. And now, you know, the body never lies. It's always going to tell us what it can handle and what's too much if only we give ourselves the space to listen. And so some simple practices of just slowing things down, even if it's just for five minutes at a time, and recognizing, how's my breath moving through? Is it stuck up high in my chest? Am I able to bring it all the way down to kind of the base of my belly? Where am I stuck? Where's that thought loop stuck? And if I can really get into a rhythmic breath where I focus only on the inhale and the exhale, can I slow that stress response down a little bit so that I can actually access, what do I feel about this? And I got into the habit early on when I was changing this, that for every invitation, whether it was something I thought, I'm really going to like that, you know, an invite to a friend at a cottage, let's say, I would say, you know what, let me think on that. And I would sit back and just, if it took me an hour or it took me a couple of days, I would sit with, do I want to do that? Is this more of a yes or a no? You know, the knee-jerk instinct was like, yeah, great, a cottage away, that's going to be awesome. But when I really sat with it, oh gosh, this friend always talks about what's wrong. It's always looking at gas, a glass half empty or catastrophizing thinking. Is that, do I really have the space in my life right now to spend a weekend? Well, that will be the conversation. As, you know, relaxing as the cottage idea might feel, it's not where I want to spend this time. And so how do we use that example in, do I give time to this initiative or do I sit back and let myself have a weekend of just rest and relaxation? Noticing how full is my cup? Do I need a bit of replenishment or can I get out there and give? 
So look, I just want to just touch on one final thing now, because what I've really gained from this conversation and all of our work together is how much kind of unraveling those family patterns and unsticking from the story can really help me um, stay present to my feeling, to my experiences, to what I want in the moment, to what I'm able to do in the moment. But what would you say, just bringing it back to where we started and to what this podcast is really all about, we may be moving into a time where we're being asked to do things that we don't particularly want to do, but that actually things that we have to do. How does this work support that movement? The one step beyond the, yes, I want to do this to the, yes, I have to do this. I think that again rests in the full picture. While we might not want to go out and pick up all the litter, we also don't want to live in a neighborhood full of garbage. So, you know, we don't want to go to the dentist, or I don't, but I don't want my mouth to be full of pain. And so it's this looking at the larger picture around what's needed for the larger collective and what's my piece that I can add to the wellspring of life going well. So if we've got our own internal um, body feeling full and we're listening to the body, then we're a little more able to go out there and give, whether that's picking up the litter or bringing soup to a sad neighbor, you know, we get to notice where we can give in any given moment. Thank you. That That's really, really helpful, actually, because what it reminds me is that, yes, there's the desires and the wants of the moment, and then there's the vision and the hopes and the dreams and the wants for my children, giving that also the proper space in the body. Of our $100, maybe the $5 goes towards the immediate wants, and the other 5 goes towards the big picture wants. So I really like that. Thank you. Do you have any final message that you would say from your vision of of families, of family constellations, of family patterns that may be helpful for people um, that are listening to this, that are particularly driven by a vision of abundance and possibility and hope and want to keep on leaning towards that and working towards that? I think the more peace we can find within ourselves, the more peace we then bring into our families, which translates to world peace in the large, large vision. And so sometimes if we start with world peace, oh my gosh, that feels so immense. We really have to back up into right now today, maybe the best movement I can make is how can I be more peaceful in my own thoughts? How can I start by being kinder to myself? How do I drop all of the expectations of what I could or should do? Because right now I'm at the max of whatever's going on in job or with my child or with my health. And so we're always keying in, kind of like what you said earlier. $5 goes to the immediate and $5 to the larger picture. But what I liked about what you said there is you're always keying into, okay, where am I at? What's my limit? What can I give? And what do I have to use to replenish so I can stay peaceful within? It's almost if we're looking to create the larger scale peace, it always starts with us. If we want a peaceful conversation with our spouse, we might need to find ways to feel more calm before we start that maybe sticky or complicated conversation. 
So always stay in that place of what you need and radiate from there. I love that message. Thank you so much. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we don't do anybody any good if we incapacitate ourselves. Thank you, Joanna, so much. I'm so glad to have this chance to talk to you. It was so great to be here with you, Sarah. Thanks for having me as your guest. And thank you for listening. There's plenty for you to reflect on there about how what you may be carrying on behalf of your ancestors influence your ability to react and respond in everyday situations and how perhaps you can gain resilience, strengthen your abilities, draw in more resources to help you, to help all of us face this new grand challenge of climate change.